0: Welcome to the Straw Hat Social Club, a One Piece recap show. I'm Todd, the One Piece expert, which is a made-up title that just means I've read the manga, and I'm joined by someone who is completely new to One Piece, the lovely and talented Becca. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I think my voice is back to normal. I think it is too. Yeah. I guess the rib is healing. Mm-hmm. The world is getting back to normal. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh this is part two of Arlong Park, the first arc we've had to separate into two different because it's just it's a major arc that uh we wanted to give the space to really talk about. Uh last week we went through most of the build up to the finale. We got Nami's backstory, we got introduced to the Fishman Pirates, uh led by Arlong. And but we got the uh The build up to the climax last week where straw hat pirates have to step up and stand up for Nami to get her out of this awful position she's been in for the past eight years working for Arlong and his fishman pirates, um, trying to free her village before getting betrayed by Arlong and realizing she's basically going to be a slave to them for life. Very emotional, definitely shed some tears in that episode and... (laughs) I think most people shed some tears watching those episodes, so that was pretty fitting. But now Luffy and the Straw Hats have finally gone to Arlong Park to confront Arlong, finish this once and for all, prove that they're ready for the grand line, and continue moving forward with the story. So is there anything you want to add before we actually get into the the final few episodes here?
1: No, I don't think so. Just get right into it.
0: Okie dokie. <laughs> So, I guess one of the big things we can set up here, because this is the first time we're really seeing this in One Piece, is they tend to uh, create these, like, officer characters who are under the big villain, who are kind of like foils for different members of the Straw Hats. Like, we kind of went into, uh, you know, Zoro being a swordsman. Like, part of his role is to fight the enemy swordsman. And this is the first time we really get to see that, because Arlong himself as the captain, obviously he's the foil for Luffy. But then we have uh, Hachi, who is a swordsman. We have Kurubi, who's like the kung fu guy, which winds up being the foil for Sanji, since he fights with his feet. It's mostly like the kung fu person in the Straw Hat crew. And then we have Chu, who's like a projectile guy, so he winds up being the foil for Usopp, the sharpshooter.
1: Do we want to go into what a foil is? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Do you need me to go into
1: that? I don't know what that is. Okay.
0: It just, it basically means kind of like a a counter. It's almost like two sides of the same coin. I guess that's the best way I can explain it.
1: I, I kind of figured from context, but I figured just in case I'm not the only one.
0: <laughs> yeah, you probably aren't the only one. Yeah, but they wind up being like similar, but on, I guess on the opposite ends of like a spectrum here. I guess that's the best way to describe it without looking it up the actual, like, definition. But, yeah, where we left off specifically, Luffy, being Luffy, did some wild antics, preparing for the fight, immediately went from, like, this super badass moment as they're confronting them to everyone just yelling at him and being like, why are you doing this, you idiot? Because he put his feet in the concrete, and then Arlong just flipped him into the ocean where it's kind of... I guess it's kind of funny, because Arlong, we talked about in the flashback how he almost looked like a mobster, you know, with his drip. And now he sent Luffy to the bottom of the ocean with concrete boots, which <laughs> maybe was like another deliberate nod at like the mobster type thing, you know?
1: It definitely could be. I mean, the fedora was enough for me to... Yeah, <laughs>
0: I, I literally just thought about that yeah, right this no, That's
1: a really interesting correlation.
0: Yeah, but Luffy, he's at the bottom of the ocean, trapped, drowning, and... Zoro and Sanji realize they need to quickly deal with uh, these other officers before jumping in to save them because they know if they jump in the water, the fishmen are gonna be at an advantage and they're not gonna stand a chance um, against them. So this winds up starting with Zoro fighting Hachi the octopus. And Hachi is, like, he's such an interesting character because he's he's set up as, like, this joke character. He's very silly. Even at the beginning of this fight, I don't know if you remember, he tries to do this uh, move called the triple sword catch where he lines up his tentacles, like, ready to catch Zoro's attack, like, all dramatically. And when Zoro attacks him, he just misses with, like, every single one and gets, like, slashed in the face or something. And during this the, the fight, Sanji, like, keeps getting distracted. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, Zoro and Sanji are, are rivals who are constantly at each other. But you can tell Sanji right from the jump, he realizes, like, Zoro is not in tip-top shape. Like, he's still injured from fighting Hawkeye. And so he keeps getting distracted, worrying about Zoro. And Karubi, which is his opponent, keeps reminding him, like, hey, pay attention, like, keeps hitting him over and over again until eventually Karubi winds up just knocking him straight through a wall and it's just kind of like i told you to pay attention like what are you doing you can't be distracted in the middle of a fight before we get into the fight itself the other thing that happens is johnny and yusaku think like okay we need to get luffy out of there because he's like our only hope at this point because even them who are not members of the straw hats they know that luffy he's much more than he appears and you know they saw the fight oh no i guess they didn't see him fight Krieg, did they but they realize, like, they're, they're not gonna be able to do anything because they're so wounded from rushing in there, you know? And uh, so, what happens is Genzo and Nojiko actually volunteer to go save him. And, and really, all the villagers kind of are ready to, to go and help him, but they realize, like, if they make too much of a scene, if too many of them go in there, it's gonna draw the, the attention of the fishmen, so uh, Genzo and Nojiko wind up going in alone to see what they can do which is is also interesting because it it shows like they don't know Luffy at all, but even they have kind of gotten on the bandwagon and are are putting their faith in him, which is a big thing that will come up with Luffy's character as the series goes on is he just has this ability to inspire people and get people to believe in him like very quickly, even though he's just like a goofball who comes off as being almost like this big kid, you know, he's like really silly and joking all the time. It's after this that uh, we get to reveal Hachi winds up taunting Zoro and telling him that no human swordsman would ever be able to defeat him. And he shows the reason for this is because as an octopus man, he wields six swords, which is funny because, again, when we talk about foils, you know, Zoro's whole thing is he is the three sword style. and That's like the big thing. And now it's someone who's like, oh, yeah, well, I got the six sword style. Like, what are you going to do about that? Before we even get a response from Zoro after this big buildup, Zoro just collapses because th- those injuries, that's a big part of this fight is I think for a lot of this arc, you kind of forget how wounded he is. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, anime or cartoon style where, you know, that stuff happened in the last arc, but it's easy to just be like, oh, well, now we're just moving forward and everything and and he seemed pretty normal, but in this moment, he he. Is starting to collapse and look kind of out of it, and then it's that reminder that like, oh, he's he's really been through it. Like that fight with Mihawk was no joke. As Hachi is getting frustrated and being like, "What, this is it?" Zoro somehow he gets back to his feet because he realizes like he has this determination that he's he's never going to lose again. Like there was that that moment in the last arc where. He very tearfully was yelling out to Luffy that he would never lose again. You remember that? Yeah. So he, he gets up because he realizes, like, yeah, I can't go out like this. Doesn't matter how wounded I am. I made a promise to my captain. And more than that, he made that promise to Kuina that he was going to be the best swordsman. So that means he's, he can't lose again under any circumstance. And it also takes us back to Orangetown. You remember when he was fighting the guy there? And he was wounded then, too. And that guy was, like, trying to, remember, go for his his injury. Zoro is basically like, uh, if I lose with this little injury, then it's all meaningless. You know what I mean? Like, he to be the best, he has to be able to fight on no matter what. So as he's getting ready to fight, Johnny and Yusaku, they throw their swords at him. Because, remember, he only has the one sword that Nami returned to him when he was in jail. Because um, he, he broke the other two swords when he was fighting Mihawk. So Johnny and Yusaku, they throw their swords at him so that he can, you know, do his three-sword technique. And it's this kind of tense moment where they're they're going towards Zoro and he's kind of just, like, barely on his feet, like, eyes closed, ready to pass out again. So they're like, Zoro, like, get ready to catch these. And at the last minute, he catches them and he is able to counter Hachi's attack and wound him. And this, this is also, like, there's a moment here that... I think was probably Zoro's like best moment in this arc because it's when he kind of reflects back on everything he's been through with uh fighting Mihawk and you know making that promise when Kuina passed away when he was a child and he uh he tells Hachi that their swords carry a different weight. What is it then? What weight do you carry upon on your shoulders? Speak up, weakly!
1: I'll get stronger! Stronger than she ever was, you hear me? Strong enough that my name reaches up to the heavens! <laughs> I am going to be the world's greatest swordsman!
0: And Hachi takes this very literally, and he's like, yeah, my swords are, like, a ton each or something ridiculous like that, you know? But Zoro is just like, no, like, that's, that's not what I meant. Like, he, he's literally carrying the hopes and dreams of Kuina who passed away when he was just a child. And he has, he just feels like he has so much more to prove, so much more that he's striving for. And as he's reflecting on this, uh, Hachi uses one of his special moves, which is the octopus pot attack. You remember when he puts like all six swords together and he uses this to fling open Uh, Zora's three swords to open him up to attack, and then Hachi just goes in and like headbutts him right in his wound and sends him flying up in the air. As he's falling back to the ground and looks like he's unconscious, Hachi uses the Waltz of Six Swords, which creates this like giant whirlwind of blades that is like a blender that Zoro is just falling into, looking very dire. But again, at the last second, Zoro just passes right through and slashes each one of Hachi's hands at the same time, showing that like, I guess he's like conserving his energy during this fight, but he's still, he's still got it. He's still Zoro. After landing, even though he's barely conscious, he realizes that there's no way that he can just remain Ordinary. if he's going to surpass Mihawk. So as Hachi closes in for another octopus pot attack, Zoro uses his dragon twister to break all six swords and send them flying. And right after that, I mean, Zoro is, he's pooped. He's like, he's done. And he's, he's still, he's still trying to jump in the water and save Luffy because that was their whole plan. But Sanji steps up and stops him and winds up jumping into the water first, because he realizes, you know, Zoro, he's not gonna be able to, to make it. I do think it's funny that when Sanji shows back up after getting knocked through the wall, Karubi is kind of like, oh, like, I'm surprised that you survived that attack, and Sanji's just like, well, that was nothing. Like, I've experienced way worse at a certain restaurant. And uh, you get this idea, because Sanji, he's he's portrayed as being this really exceptional fighter, even though he hasn't had the kind of experience the Straw Hats have had. But, you know, working at the Baratie definitely put him through the ringer um, so you can see how he got to this point. Um, this is also when Nami finally, she kind of gets herself together and she starts heading back to Arlong Park as Sanji jumps in the water to save Luffy. And this is, uh, well, the the reveal is that, that Nojiko and Genzo, since they weren't able to break the rock, they like stretched luffy's neck all the way up to the surface so he can breathe and uh which which i thought was funny because even reading it and watching it the first time it did feel like luffy was down there for a long time it starts to get kind
1: of it's kind of anxious yeah Yeah. i remember first watching it that's like we talked about last episode where i was like how does this work because he's (laughs) been down there a long time and i also thought it was very clever for them to pull his head up because he's a rubber man so it's like oh well we can just pull his head up and he can breathe
0: a pretty good idea yeah so as the first like major one piece arc um this is our first time getting fights broken up like this where it's clearly you know these one versus one matchups this is our first time seeing zoro step up and fight an enemy swordsman like this i think at this point in the series it is it is funny knowing where things are going not to spoil things but these fights feel very brief, like very... They're, they're over with kind of in one episode. Not as a complaint or anything, because I think it still managed to get across everything it needed to. You know, that is still suffering from his injuries, and but he still has these aspirations that prevent him from just giving... from half-assing it. You know what I mean? Like he realizes he has to go 100% all the time, no matter what, if he's going to reach his goals. Um, And that that seems to be a big part of what drives him as a character. I mean, did any of that like resonate with you at all?
1: Well, I think, of course it does. I mean, like if I I, as a artist, you and the way social media is right now, you're basically asked to be at 100 percent all the time so you can post and promote yourself and then still somehow make art that you then go back into this cycle of doing. Yeah, But like, I really I understand that.
0: Yeah, it's silly to to compare to when you think it's like a swordsman (laughs) uh, in this fantasy world. But it is true. You know, I think anyone doing anything creative, especially understands how difficult it can be. Um, I mean, even making this podcast, you know, it's it can be kind of tough to step up, give 100 percent keep going you know when it's not like we're making money or anything off of this um so we have to kind of do it for the love of the game and you know because the only way that we're gonna get good at it is to just keep doing it over and over again and not give up which i honestly i have a lot of thoughts about that i've been thinking about that we'll go through with the east blue recap when we record that episode but for the time being uh, yeah, that was, that was Zora's fight. So now we're moving on to Sanji's. Sanji versus Karubi. Because Sanji, he jumps in the water, like we said, to go save Luffy. And Karubi goes in after him and sees that Genzo is, is trying to like... Well, I, think, I can't remember, is this Genzo? Genzo is trying to break the rock um, from Luffy's ankles very unsuccessfully. And when Karubi sees this, he goes to stop him. Sanji winds up standing in his way, and is kind of like, all right, you want to do this underwater, we can do this. Mm-hmm. And he actually, he does this weird thing where he has this like long ponytail that he like wraps around Sanji's waist to <laughs> trap him, so he's stuck fighting him. And this is when we really get the reveal that Fishman, they have this fighting style called Fishman Karate, and the whole idea is that when they're in the water, they're able to not only maintain the same strength they have on land, but a lot of attacks are actually stronger in the water, which I thought was, going back to talking about foils, this is an interesting foil to the devil fruits. Because the whole thing with the devil fruits is you get these special powers, but you are helpless in the water. And the fishmen, meanwhile, when they're in the water, that's when they excel, you know what I mean? So I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really cool juxtaposition of their powers, a way to present them.
0: Yeah, and uh, he mentions, yeah, all that about fishman karate, but meanwhile, you know, for a regular human, they would lose most of their power in the water, which you immediately see when Sanji tries to attack him and is just getting nowhere. Um, And this is like, this is honestly a pretty brutal part because he, I mean, he's just slapping the shit out of Sanji he like knocks him into a wall and he like he does this thing where he quickly he like drops him super far down the water to crush him with the water pressure and and then takes him back up and is getting ready to do it again you know it's it's very brutal it's It's hard to watch
1: it's so evil to think about to drag someone down just so that the ocean pressure just crushes them that's crazy
0: it's hard to watch and it's funny because this fight is you know this is sanji's first time fighting as a member of the straw hats like we forget about that that he was there during barati but he wasn't part of the crew then and now this is his first time um being part of the crew stepping up and he is just getting his fucking ass kicked silly by this fucking fish man this this like ray this uh manta ray guy so he's really getting an idea of like what he's in for as a member of the straw Hats. yeah
1: but also it seems like second nature to him at this point as a part of the crew it's almost like he's always been there
0: yeah and uh the other thing though that i i thought was a good moment for him in this fight is that karubi he calls out his chivalry and i think he calls it superficial chivalry like the way he feels about nami and of course sanji (laughs) oh my that's that's the way to get to him Because you you question his his chivalry, it's like he's not going to take that land down. So that that was something that like you could tell really like cut to the quick and got Sanji upset.
1: So was he basically accusing him of being white knighting? Like what? Uh, yeah, knighting I guess so. Nami, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I can see why he would get offended. Oh uh, yeah, he he truly does love Nami.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Sanji he comes up with the genius idea to blow air into. Kirby's gills because he realizes like as a fish, there's no way he'd be able to handle that. So that winds up being his counter. He he just blows whatever air is left in his in his lungs. Cause that's the other thing is he's starting to drown. And that's yeah. the other thing that makes this fight so brutal is seeing his desperation to get to the surface of the water. But it does work. It makes Karubi kind of freak out and have to jump out of the water.
1: Which I, I also think that this is a clever Move for Sanji in his character because mm-hmm. he's obviously lived on the sea for a long time. He knows fish. He knows how fish work. So, like, that seems like mm-hmm. that would be knowledge that's already loaded into that character. How do fish work?
0: <laughs> but, yeah, so when once he's back on the, the surface, he he's able to tell Zoro that Luffy's okay. And this is also, this is the cool moment for Sanji to step up because Karubi, after, you know, slapping the shit out of Sanji in the water, is kind of like... Doesn't matter. I'll beat you up on the surface, too. It's whatever. And Sanji comes at him and starts hitting him with his his attacks, which I did want to... I wanted to mention, you know, Sanji's whole thing is, as a chef, all of his attacks are these uh, French terms that wind up just being terms for, like, different body parts. And I thought it was funny because he's, he's hitting him with these attacks, you know, calling him out and hitting him, like, in the neck and the back and stuff. And I was trying to get sound bites, so I was like... <laughs> Let me let me see what the dub looks like here, and the dub is literally just like shoulder, back, <laughs> flank, and it's just like really like you couldn't just use the French terms just I mean, like in the Japanese. That
1: is why so many people don't want to listen to dubs oh, because they're so bad this and it doesn't very,
0: make sense. It was a silly decision,
1: very silly.
0: But he yeah he he winds up kicking the hell out of him with these attacks and finishes him with the muton shot. <laughs> And just slams them straight through the wall, ends the fight. Again, it's another like pretty quick fight because he dispatches them very quickly when they're on land. But I thought it was effective. It's still, we saw it got pretty brutal in the water, which really showed us the strengths of Fishman Karate, which is going to be important later, I'll tell you right now. But at the same time, on the surface we see that sanji is still not somebody to be messed with and when you question his chivalry and call him a white knight especially <laughs> he's not going to take that laying down so did you have any final thoughts on like what's driving sanji because i remember originally you know you were not feeling Sanji. i don't remember exactly where it was you yeah, started turning around i on don't him. think
1: i remember either i don't because yeah. i mean at this point re-watching it i'm already a sanji stan So I can't remember in the story. Maybe when it happens, I'll remember. Yeah. Uh, But it's probably not here. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we do get a little glimpse here that maybe there's more to him than just being a a simp, you know, and that his his convictions are a little deeper. I mean, we get a a couple of those moments. They probably went over your head uh, the first time through because it's still familiarizing yourself with everything. But we're seeing, you know... How Sanji wasn't ready to turn on Nami, even when everyone else was oh, questioning. Yeah. He he had his his comment about the tears in her heart, which <laughs> sounds very corny, but you realize like maybe there is something to this. Maybe he is seeing something that yeah. no one else is, and he's not just a simp. You know, it's
1: just his trauma radar is going off. Yeah, we recognize that.
0: But yeah, so that's two of the three officers down. But this leads us into. The last of these fights, which is uh, Usopp versus Chu. And I have to say, for me, I'm not like the biggest Usopp fan. I like Usopp a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to have to like rank the Straw Hats at some point. I think that'll be fun. Definitely.
1: I think that'd be fun, too.
0: Maybe at the end of each arc, we can judge like what happened with them throughout the series or throughout that uh, saga.
1: Maybe we should do it per saga.
0: That's what I meant. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But I'll say like this, this moment for Usopp, I'll get into it. But this, I I just love this. I love this so much. Like everything about it. But as a reminder, yeah, Usopp, he angered Chu and wound up leading him out of the Arlong Park and... She is just chasing him, you know, kind of typical Usopp style, not one to like face people head on. And when we catch up with them, we see that Usopp is lying on the ground. It looks like he's in a puddle of blood, but he quickly reveals he had ketchup on him. Um, and Chu's just walking away, kind of just like, well, that was easy, you know. <laughs> but this leads to a moment when Usopp gets up and he's he's reflecting and thinking like, okay, I did my best. Like, that's good enough. And he's, he's like putting dirt on himself to look like he, you know, went through more of a battle, you know, and he's going through his head of all the things he could say to Nami, like, oh yeah, I I tried my best, you know, like, it's okay. Like, maybe we'll get him next time, you know, all this stuff. But you can see as he's doing that, doing his regular, like, cowardly thing, he keeps remembering these moments, you know, like, when Zoro challenged Mihawk and, the way that Luffy's always putting his life on the line and the trauma that Nami's been through. And you can see it start to break him down. He's like slowing down and losing this, this trail of thought because he's starting to realize that, you know, the Straw Hats, their whole thing is they're constantly putting their lives on the line. And Usopp, he comes to a realization that he has basically been faking being a pirate this whole time. It's this very, like, uh, it's this kind of revelatory moment for him where he realizes, I mean, that's the joke of his character is that he lies and he always puts on a show and everything, but it's this really nice moment where he realizes, yeah, he's been, he's been faking it this whole time. He's been faking being a pirate, even though he's always calling himself a pirate and a captain and all this stuff. He sees it like this is his chance to really put his life on the line and become a real warrior of the sea, which is the thing that he's like very infatuated with. And he thinks that if he doesn't risk his life here, then he won't have the right to laugh with the others and to be their shipmate. And what really hit me is he he mentions how, you know, because they risk their lives every day, you know, putting their lives on the line, it's why they're able to laugh so happily when they're on the ship partying and everything.
1: When I left home, I left everything behind. Peace, safety, When you live your life on the edge, you savor every moment. That's why they're able to laugh so much. That's the reason I went to sea. I want to laugh that way too. And if I don't fight with all I got, then I don't deserve to be on the same ship with them
0: never be able to face my friends again. And that that was something that just really hit me. You know, the idea that if you live every day like it's la- it's your last, which they literally do since they literally are putting their lives on the line, then it means that meanwhile, you know, during the quieter days on the ship together, they're able to live it up and laugh and everything because they they know literally like any day could be their last. Like did that resonate with you too?
1: I mean, yeah, it's a very emotional thing to yeah. think about. And I, I get that.
0: But it, it winds up being this great development for someone who's portrayed as like such a coward. He it, sees this as like his chance to pull his weight, you know.
1: Yeah, it speaks to his character that Luffy is always seen. You know, like I feel like it, Luffy has a way of picking out these people to surround himself with that, mm-hmm. even if they have work to do on themselves, they have like the bare bones of being this really amazing, compassionate kind person
0: yeah and luffy i mean there's a reason he's he's a part of the straw hats luffy still does believe in usopp and usopp is realizing this is his chance to really prove himself after this realization usopp makes a stand makes it clear he's not going to run away and (laughs) chu when he sees like he's still alive (laughs) chu just goes back and just nails him in the face like immediately with this brutal attack and sends him flying and It's uh, a little heartbreaking after that that build up. But as we get into, I mean, this is Usopp's character. He's not he's not someone who can like fight somebody head on the way that these other monsters in the crew, which is something the series like kind of goes into as it goes on. The fact that Luffy, Zoro and Sanji are like inhuman because of how (laughs) strong they are. And Usopp and Nami are like these normal people who are just looking at them like, how are you human? (laughs) But this is when Usopp's counter is to use his uh, rubber band of doom, which I think is like (laughs) the funniest part of his toolkit, because it's literally he pulls out a rubber band and, you know, it's like (laughs) instinctually you have that reaction when someone does that to like flinch, (laughs) you know what I mean? And even in the One Piece world, Chu is like, oh, like freaks out. And this gives Usopp the chance to run away into the woods. (laughs) Um, Which is still... Like, he still manages to be this silly character. It's who he is, you know? As Chu is, like, getting frustrated at all these games, Usopp throws, like, a bottle of oil at him from the woods and douses him in that, and Chu just gets even more angry. So he, like, I don't know what a kissing fish is. I don't know what this fish that he's based on, except that he constantly goes, Chu! Which also is, is funny... I think it's funnier with the the dub, I noticed, because in the dub, he has this, like, very deep, serious voice, and then just goes, choo, like, randomly. But he, his reaction is to, like, slurp up all the water in this rice field and shoots this, like, machine gun blast into the woods and, like, takes down all these trees and freaking Usopp out all over again. Usopp, he's like, as he's hiding behind a tree, he's like amping himself up, realizing, you know, I have to do this. I have to do this. And that's when he finally hits him with the fire star attack because Chu's been doused with this oil. So he immediately goes up in flames and Chu runs to like get the fire out in these rice fields. And Usopp like freaks out and goes after him and just hits him with a hammer over and over again, which is like, like my takeaway from this because he. Let's just say so he just beats the shit out of him with a hammer while he's on fire and you see him in this pile with like, you know, his cartoon lumps all yeah. over his head as Usopp is like, Yes, I did it But reflecting on this fight, I think the thing that, that uh I really responded to is I imagine like what does that have to be like? Like if me, Todd, was a part of the Straw Hats, you know, with these superhuman people and you have this anxiety and this pressure to put your life on the line you know and to match up to their expectations it's like what do you what are you supposed to do you know and usopp is like he's almost like the uh the audience uh surrogate you know for that feeling and like his his response is just to take a hammer and just hit him (laughs) with it desperately over and over again until he stops moving which i thought's funny but uh i don't know what did you have any final thoughts on this encounter
1: uh i mean (laughs) I will say I, too, am not, like, the largest Usopp fan, but I, I do think that he's a good character. And I think everything that he does falls in line with what I would expect Usopp to do. Except I will say i was surprised that he even just, like, stepped up and, like, tried to do something else other than run away. And I, he still gets an A for effort.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great... Like I said, I think this is our first chance to really see him step up and put his life on the line, and prove himself, you know, as as part of the Straw Hats, I still think it's super effective, and to this day, even reading the whole series, I think this is, like, one of his best moments. I love it, and it's it's great to do this early, to, like, sell his characters, like, look, he's not just this bumbling dummy, you know, like, he he is a Straw Hat, and he is there for the rest of his crew. So, after this fight, we, uh, we get back to Arlong Park, and right away, we see, like, Things are not going so well because Luffy's still trapped and even though those two officers have been defeated, Zoro and Sanji are left to face Arlong by himself and when we cut back, I mean, they're already just trashed. Like, we haven't even seen what happened to them. We just see they have been, like, decimated within a very short time by Arlong, which really reinforces that as strong as they are, Arlong is on this whole other level and it really drives home that how much they need luffy to really like finish this fight and to really come out on top and specifically the reveal we get is is arlong i mean he's barely even using any effort remember he like cups some water and he just like throws water at them and it's like a shotgun blast like that's how strong he is he doesn't even have to use any effort and i did think this moment is important because as we said Zoro and sanji are like superhuman they are very strong in their own rights Arlong is is on such a different level, and it shows why Luffy is still important, why they still need him, which uh, we will get to in a moment. At this moment, that Nami finally shows up, and there's a bit of dialogue between her and Arlong, uh, which was also like a very important moment in this arc, because basically what Arlong tells Nami is that she can either join him willingly as his surveyor for the rest of her life, which He'll, he agrees to spare all the villagers if she does that. But he says, like, Straw Hats, though, they're all going to have to die. Like, because they dared to challenge him, their lives are forfeit at this point. And if Nami disagrees, then he's just going to kill everyone and force Nami into doing this labor for him. This is, this is a big moment for Nami because there's a moment where she's kind of mulling this over. And you can see that old fear that kind of drove her to do this to try to protect everybody but she has finally realized and she, and it's also worth noting she's wearing the straw hat this whole time which i thought was like a nice touch kind of might give her the strength to finally stand up to arlong but it shows how far she's come you know that she finally accepts her friendship to the straw hats and is willing to die for them you know and she puts her life on the line just like the rest of them, you know, which kind of reflects on what just happened with Usopp. Because Nami's in a similar position where she's not... she's not super strong like they are, and she's been living this kind of double life the whole time, but this is her do-or-die moment to really step up the way that everybody else has this whole time. And she says, no, like, she's not going to agree to this. And finally, after... Genzo and Nojiko have been going back and forth trying to give CPR to Luffy, who's just been, like, unconscious this whole time. Luffy spits out this, like, giant geyser of water, <laughs> which tells everybody, like, okay, he's ready to go. We just got to get him out of this this rock. And so Zoro, he just turns to Sanji, and he's like, I can give you 30 seconds. <laughs> so Sanji's just like, all right, let's go. And uh, Oh, and it's also worth noting, this is when Usopp shows up, and he, like attacks Arlong and distracts him, and everyone's like, wait, where is he? And you see, like, through <laughs> this hole in the wall, like, way far away, Usopp is like, I'm here, and he's like, hey, I beat I beat you. <laughs> so Sanji, he he jumps in the water. Hachi also, he gets back on his feet at this moment and realizes, like, he's got to do something and stop him, so he jumps in after Sanji Is they're swimming down there, desperately to... To break this rock and just as Sanji's getting ready to break the rocks Hachi comes up behind him and immediately succumbs to his injuries (laughs) because I guess they're really setting up that if you have all these cuts and everything and you try to get in the water not the best idea
1: it's it's salt water it's gonna hurt (laughs) yeah
0: yeah that too I didn't think about that part
1: I assume it's salt water
0: (laughs) yeah but Sanji he's able to still kick through the rock because he's still strong as hell even in the water And Luffy, being Luffy, like his his return is like his body slingshots back up. So as, as Sanji's going down to break the rock, Zoro, you know, he said he'd give him 30 seconds. So he starts fighting with Arlong. He tries to break Arlong's nose with his sword. Arlong is able to easily stop the sword and says like his nose is unbreakable, which is this nice setup for later. But Zoro, you know, he's not in great shape and Arlong has been shown to be this... You know, absolute monster. So he pushes Bagzor very easily and winds up like lifting him in the air and pulling his uh, bandages off, which reveals finally that wound from Mihawk, which just looks brutal. Um, I don't remember what your reaction was, but it's uh, it's pretty ugly. It looks like they like stapled it roughly shut. You know, it looks like he shouldn't even be alive. And yeah, other characters uh, remark on that like a normal person wouldn't survive that but even even in this moment um Zoro still just throws it back at Arlong and it's just like we still win because he just he has that much faith in Luffy which is one of the the best parts of Zoro's character is the way that like as like tough and badass as he is as silly as Luffy is he seems to be the one who's like always got Luffy's back and always has like complete trust in him so Luffy slingshots uh, back up into the air, and it's, it's yeah, it's a funny moment where he grabs Zoro and it's just kind of like, "Here I'll uh, trade places with you." And he like flings Zoro, who's like very badly injured, <laughs> flings him through the air as Luffy comes down, and immediately Luffy, I mean, he's ready to go. So he just hits Arlong over and over. It's all like all the gum-gum greatest hits, you know, <laughs> like back to back to back, just hitting him with these brutal attacks. And he sends arlong flying a little bit but it doesn't seem to really phase him it doesn't really do any damage but luffy he doesn't seem phased either because he just like this is another moment that i really like because setting up for the fight this is the first chance we get for luffy and arlong to really talk to one another as they're getting ready to fight and luffy is just like casually like stretching and like getting ready to go and arlong is just talking down to him about how, you know, he's, he's so superior as a fishman, you know, and, and Luffy like completely unfazed. I did think it was interesting because we've seen that Arlong, he's like a fishman supremacist, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it's talking about all the great, the great attributes, you know, this bullet list of what makes a fish man better. And Luffy is just like, okay, whatever. Like <laughs> he, he doesn't care one way or the other, you know, yeah. it's, it's like he is above race. <laughs> he, he just doesn't care. He just cares about the individual, and he knows how horrible Arlong has been, how he's treated everyone. So that's the only thing that he cares about. And we also get a... They kind of revisit the stakes here as the villagers and everyone are kind of sitting around and thinking, like, you know, if Luffy loses, like, that's it. Like, we're all dead. The East Blue's done. You know, it really is a lot on the line. If he loses, then we'll all die. Yeah, you
1: will. If that happens, it's the end of the East Blue,
0: too. Which is also interesting to think about that the other people living in the East Blue who are just living their lives and stuff, they don't even know this is going on. Um, which is, I think, a, it's a big thing going forward with the series and with the Straw Hats is that they, I mean, as pirates, they aren't out there trying to be heroes in the limelight, you know, getting all this stuff done. They have their own goals, their own aspirations, and inadvertently they are, like, making the world a better place for so many people um, without any kind of recognition or anything, you know, which is, um, I think, another thing we're going to hit on at the end of this episode.
1: Well, I mean, that's the whole point of of everything, is you shouldn't need recognition to do a kind thing. True. Also.
0: But I do, I I like that. It's definitely something that resonates with me that they aren't just your typical heroes. It's one of the, the elements of, you know, a story like this, there are a lot of different like coats of paint you can put on it. It doesn't have to be pirates. It could be a lot of other things. But one of the things that makes this a good pirate story is that pirates are not typically portrayed as good guys. You know, and he really dives into that. He does not portray them as like, oh, they're the good pirates. Like, they're still pirates. They're still doing their own thing. They all have their own like selfish endeavors. But it just turns out that what they're doing is also helping a lot of people. And it just comes down to the, the morals and the stuff that are driving them to do what they do. So after being reminded of these, these stakes, Arlong, He just gets more enraged because he just feels like, how can you not understand how much better I am than you? Like, how do you not understand that I am so far above you? So he goes after Luffy with his jaws and shows that, like, he's able to bite through stone because his jaws are so strong. And again, Luffy's just unfazed because he's just like, what? Like, who cares? That's not the only way to break rock. And he just, like, punches through some stone, like, casually, like, what's the big deal, you know? (laughs) But then we have another moment that I enjoyed a lot because this is this is one of those moments that in the moment I was kind of like what what is going on like what is he trying to do but in the aftermath it was pretty impactful because I don't know if you remember he picks up um, Johnny and Yusaku's swords and he's like flailing them around like trying to attack Arlong it's not really doing anything Arlong just breaks him like really easily and then he... Follows that up by punching Arlong hard enough that he just shatters the teeth in his mouth, which feels like this really big moment. After that, Luffy reveals that, you know, he he can't use swords, because I think Arlong's trying to, like, test out, like, what, what exactly can Luffy do? He's just this little puny human. Um, so he breaks his teeth and then says, look, I can't use swords, I can't sail, I can't cook, and I can't lie, which, like, <laughs> makes yourself go, like, wait a minute, like, what? <laughs> You know, he he realizes like he needs to rely on his crew. And Arlong completely takes this the wrong way, because Arlong is like, what a pathetic captain. Like they must be so disappointed having you as the person they can look up to. Like, what what is it that you can actually do? And Luffy's just like, I can kick your ass.
1: (laughs) What good is a helpless rubber-brained captain to them? What can you possibly do?
0: I can kick your ass. And it's, it's an important moment because it does show... We've, we've talked about this a little in the previous arcs, but Luffy himself, that really is all he can do. Is he, he is able to fight really well. He's very strong, but he is completely helpless when it comes to everything else, and he owns that. He, he knows that he needs to rely on his crew, and it's part of why he puts so much faith in them and cares about them so deeply because he knows how much he needs them. And it's, again... You know, in the previous arcs, we had a lot of moments that really defined the type of pirate that Luffy is because he saw these people who didn't care about their crewmates, you know, who had only cared about their own ideals and everything. And in the case of Arlong, Arlong, he does care about his crew. He shows that he he has this love for the fishmen that borders on, like, you know, racist and a little extreme, But he does care about them very deeply. However, his view is that the captain's supposed to be the strongest, the best, you know, like you're at the top of the food chain and Luffy just just like, no, we all have our role to play. And I thought that was, uh, that's a really important moment that kind of is a good way of wrapping up because I think in the East Blue arc, all these matchups are really used as a way of fleshing out Luffy's character and his ideals and what he is fighting for and all of that and this I think was the perfect way to like put a, a pin in it and like really it gives us this final um conclusion to like wrap up that part of the story and a part of what the storytelling is doing at this point
1: well I think that a lot of Oda's messages really ring clear with everything happening because Luffy depends on community while Arlong is more so like individualistic and realizing that to only depend on yourself for everything not only is that exhaust but mm-hmm. as humans you know we rely we should be relying on each other in order to succeed
0: yeah absolutely you know after this whole speech when it feels like luffy's coming out on top because he just broke his teeth and everything uh, Arlong just shows he can instantly regrow his teeth, which I don't think is how it works for I, sharks. Yeah,
1: I don't, I don't think that's a thing. But also, it is like a, a defeating moment. Like I remember yeah. being like, "Okay, Luffy, you you broke his teeth. It, yeah. It'll take a little bit to grow back because I know shark teeth grow back. Yes, but uh, obviously not in this." In this sense, it they seemed, just instantly come back.
0: It seems like all of the like fish elements are like amplified. Yeah, and yeah, since we know sharks are able to regrow their teeth, this is that amplified mm-hmm. to a hundred. Is he just instantly brings them back? And he says like, "Oh, and by the way, they're stronger than before." <laughs> like every single time. And this was part of what's interesting to me about this because then his his reaction to that being so unfazed, he just like pulls his teeth out. Remember, and he has like a set in each hand. You know, it's almost like those little toy teeth you would yeah. have as a kid. He has those in each hand and his teeth in his mouth. It, it makes it clear one of the things about this fight that's that's cool is that he is, again, a very good foil for <laughs> Luffy. Because Luffy, you know, we've seen as a rubber man, he can take a lot of damage, he has a lot of versatility, but he's very vulnerable to like sharp piercing attacks. And here we have a guy who that's his thing is like if he bites in the Luffy, and I think the people watching even note this that he could take a chunk out of him very easily. So it's again building these stakes that like this is the first real fight for Luffy where it really feels like because I, m- I remember reading it, I was like ooh, like <laughs> this is the first time I feel like he's actually putting his life on the line and is in danger, and it's part of what makes this fight so exciting.
1: I remember feeling that too. Where it was like, before, yeah. it was like, undeniable, Luffy will get through it, it is fine. But this is actually the first time where you're like, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> there might, something bad might actually happen right now.
0: Yeah, and it's it's kind of made worse, because again, talking about him as a foil, sorry to like, that feels like the the <laughs> word vocabulary word of the day. <laughs> yeah. of the day. Yeah. You know, Luffy, his whole fighting style up till now, which is still true in this fight, is he really is just relying on like brute strength and you know his own reflexes and his own spirit because he just throws himself in danger and just relies on that brute strength to get through. And you're seeing here, that's not gonna work because if he is just taking these attacks, they're actually gonna hurt him. They're actually gonna be a big deal. So I think that adds to making this feel like the stakes are so much higher. And it's funny because it's after this that Luffy realizes, like, oh, he has this great idea, which I think, if you've been paying any attention, (laughs) should make you a little worried. Because remember, his last great idea was that pinwheel attack, which put him in the ocean. So once again, he's like, oh, I have an idea. And his idea is he, he hits Arlong again hard enough that he just knocks his teeth straight out of his mouth. And everyone's kind of like, "Well, that's not that's not gonna do anything. We already know." And Luffy's like, "Hold on a sec," and he takes the teeth and he puts them in his own mouth again, like those little fake toy teeth, like the little vampire teeth we had as a kid, which always like hurt your gums really bad.
1: Yeah, they Um, were not made for normal mouths. Yeah,
0: I I think it's it's clear why we don't really see those anymore. Yeah. (laughs) but yeah he does that and of course everyone's just like this is your idea like what and uh so he goes to he goes to bite Arlong at the same time that he takes a really nasty bite to his side from the teeth that Arlong's holding in his hand Luffy bites him back but it doesn't really do anything and Arlong reveals like well as strong as the teeth are the jaw behind it is what matters and I guess Luffy doesn't really have that. This great big idea, which is like a silly moment, doesn't really do anything. And yeah, it's after that that Arlong manages to bite down on his arm really hard in a way that looks pretty alarming. But Luffy just uses that brute strength to slam Arlong into the ground and gets him to let go. And everyone watching is like, poof, (laughs) because you realize like he could have taken his arm off pretty easily with that one. And after this, this there's another thing that is interesting in this fight because it feels like every time luffy is starting to figure things out it's like arlong just pulls something else out of his back pocket and it's in this moment he like jumps in the water and we have that moment where luffy doesn't know where he is and everyone's like he's behind you in the water and you see like the shark fin Mm -hmm. going around and arlong he reveals this attack called uh like shark dart yeah where he Launches himself out of the water using that long nose of his. It's like a a, swordfish,
1: like a swordfish. Well,
0: no, because it's like a shark. What's that shark called? It's like a sawtooth.
1: Saw. Oh, okay.
0: So he uses his nose, which is like a sawtooth shark nose, (laughs) to uh, launch himself like a dart at like this lightning speed, like very dangerous. And Luffy he dodges. but when Arlong goes to do it again we get another big moment where you know we've seen in a lot of the fights in the past that Luffy he he very much wants to face his opponents like head-on like it's almost like this is his way of proving his worth as king of the pirates is that like if he can't fight people head-on head-to-head no trickery or whatever then he doesn't deserve to call himself king of the pirates and You know his his it makes his aspirations kind of fall apart. At least that's how he sees it. I guess because we saw with uh, with Kuro when Kuro was like using his out of the out of the bag (laughs) out of the back attack, Luffy just stood his ground, waited to get attacked, and then hit him. And with Krieg, you know, he punched into his spiked cape, and he was just constantly just hammering him over and over and over again, even as he was taking hits. And in this moment, he's doing the same thing. He Instead of dodging out of the way, he stands his ground and makes like a net out of his fingers <laughs> to catch Arlong, just almost as a way of proving himself and facing this head on.
1: I think that's what's great about Luffy, though, is that even though sometimes it looks like he's not matching up in strength, he really, like, outshines in creativity and how he uses his abilities. Oh, for sure. I mean, sometimes they can backfire,
0: Yeah. What. But- <laughs> so- well, it- It's funny because it does feel like he kind of just is doing everything like in the spur of the moment and a lot of these ideas wind up being really silly and stupid but then occasionally hits on one that actually works and with with the net he he successfully catches him and after getting launched in the air and Arlong tries to hit him again with the shark dart Luffy makes this like gigantic net out of his fingers catches him and then uses a gum gum spear with his foot to slam him down into the ground which is funny because it is like this is how you would catch a fish you know you catch in a net and then spear it (laughs) and it turns out it works just as well against the fish man as it would against the normal fish because this does a ton of damage to Arlong and kind of starts to swing the fight in Luffy's favor and it's funny because yeah you can see this as like this really silly kind of childish idea but you know the first two maybe swing and a miss didn't really work (laughs) out but the third one actually does it um and right as we're starting to look like okay this might go in luffy's favor arlong gets up and now he goes berserk like i don't know if you remember this moment like his eye gets that like slit almost like a cat eye which they compare to a sea king because that's how their eyes look and he completely goes berserk. And I guess in this moment, this is when we see Arlong at his his fullest. He he has to take this fight seriously now. And he just grabs Luffy and like swings him around his head (laughs) and throws him into the building. And then he reaches in and he pulls out this giant um, saw sword, which I thought was really cool. It's like this huge sword with like these big saw blades going down the length of it. And he just goes after Luffy as, as they're heading higher and higher up the building before slamming into a room, which turns out to be uh, Nami's room, where she's been held all this time and forced to draw these sea charts. Arlong, he's, he's preparing to finish Luffy off as he's explaining to him that this is the room that he kept Nami in because fishmen, they're able to easily get ocean data since they can swim around very freely but they need someone skilled to actually draw the charts you see that Arlong part of why he he values Nami so much is he really believes that he, he really respects her talents and her abilities but he thinks that they should be used for the fishmen as the superior race and he thinks that Luffy isn't going to be able to use her as well as he can which uh this is when the fight really takes a turn because Arlong is getting very serious At the same time, Luffy, you know, this isn't a game anymore. Because now he's seeing what Nami has been through all this time. And the fact that Arlong is trying to act like, oh, we can use her better than you can. Like, this goes in direct opposition to how Luffy views Nami and his other crewmates.
1: Yeah, he it's weird (laughs) how he's using Nami as, like, bargaining chip. Mm -hmm. Almost obviously treating her like property. Like... This is my my C chart machine. You, yeah. you you don't know how how to use this C chart machine. I I know how to use it better. It's objectifying, and I really commend Luffy for how he realizes this is wrong, and he knows you know Nami's a human and she's my friend, and you can't use her to do your bidding.
0: Yeah, and and this is when Luffy starts to really get serious because we've seen up till now that. Luffy, he views all of his crew members as his friends. You know, they're like family to him. To Arlong, she's just like this little pet that he can keep in a cage. And he thinks that like, oh, this is is what she enjoys doing. And I'm allowing her to do the thing that she loves. And, you know, giving her the opportunity to use her talents for something that matters. But it shows how much he just doesn't understand people, you know, and doesn't understand that we're not just like you know, pets that you can keep in a cage and be forced to do these things. And Luffy, meanwhile, realizes how painful that this must be for Nami to be kept in here. Which leads us to the final moments of this confrontation. As both Luffy and Arlong are getting to this point where they realize they have to really take it serious, Arlong, he kind of puts his uh, sword to Luffy's neck and is ready to finish him off. And at that same moment, Luffy picks up a pen that Nami was using... ...and he notices that there's blood on it. Because I guess she had been working so tirelessly at um, drawing the C-charts... ...that she was getting, like, blisters on her fingers. And Luffy, being Luffy, you know, he picks up on this immediately when he sees it. And you see he gets very serious because he, like, gently puts his hand on the sword at his neck... And Arlong immediately realizes he can't even move it anymore because he's holding it so tightly and he just breaks the piece that he's holding on to because he's getting so angry just thinking about this. Which shows, like, that is the thing. Like, as carefree and silly as Luffy is, it's like any time that someone does something to his crewmates, you know, that he disagrees with or sees as being hurtful, that's what makes Luffy finally get serious and... You see that determination and that unshakable drive that's in him come out. You know, it's like, it's when the people he cares about are being threatened. It's, this is a pretty cool, cool part that I really like. It's very iconic. And it's another one of those things that the first time I was a little confused by it. I don't know how you felt, but basically when Luffy realizes like what he has to do now, what he does is he just starts going ham on the room and he's like breaking everything. He's throwing the furniture out the window he's basically completely ignoring Arlong who is slowly starting to panic when he sees like how everything is getting destroyed
1: I don't understand anything about that stuff I finally figured out how to save her this room isn't anything but our jail cell there's only one way for Nami to escape I've got to tear this place apart
0: and on the outside, you see that everyone's watching and they're very confused because they see the furniture flying out. There's like a funny moment with Johnny and Yusaku when like a chair flies out and they freak out. And it's because he's like, oh, God, I thought that was Luffy. And the other <laughs> one's like, what? You didn't have faith in him? He's like, oh, I had faith in him. Um, but he's just completely wrecking this room. Like, did you pick up one? what was going on the first time?
1: So I think I understand What he was doing is that he was just throwing out all these C-charts to prove not only is it for Nami to see, like, you're free from this. You do not have to do this. So now Arlong can see that he's not going to be able to get away with this.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I think for me, I was just confused because it felt like he was taking all the stuff that Nami had worked so hard for and destroying it. And in the moment, I didn't quite get it. But I think what sells it is you know, as everyone's confused and wondering what's happening up there, it cuts to Nami, who has tears going down her face, and she's remembering, like, all the trauma that she experienced in that room and how, like, you know, when she was a child, she would try to draw, like, these fake charts to kind of trick him, and, and he just got angry and, like, abusive toward her over that. And it shows how, like, that dynamic was being so misrepresented by Arlong, who thought that he was like giving her everything she wanted and letting her use her talents. But in fact, he was being abusive and forcing her to do this and um, just keeping her in this cell where she didn't really have any choice. And he just was completely unable to recognize how toxic and horrible that dynamic was. But uh, Luffy, in a moment, picks up on it and he sees like all the pain that's being stored in this room and he's just like the only way that i'm gonna free her is just to destroy all of this nami doesn't even care like she's not attached to these charts like that like even though that is her dream to chart all the world's oceans it's it's not like this it's something that she wants to do for herself you know not for somebody else it is a really powerful moment and as arlong further gets enraged by all this he finally goes in and he just bites luffy um straight on the neck and it's like really vicious attack that looks like uh this might be it for him like it's pretty bad But Luffy, he reaches up and just grabs Arlong on the nose. And again, showing his like his way of handling things head on with brute strength. He just grabs that nose, which he's so proud of and talks about how unbreakable it is. And he just snaps it in half and like freaks Arlong out. Finally says, you know, like this is the only way to save her is to destroy this room. And he sends his foot way up in the air. Like it's the same attack he used on the Barati to Mm -hmm. like crush it. Um, it's like the gum gum battle axe and as he's stretching his foot up high up in the air Arlong brings out his like insane final attack that tooth drill (laughs) do you remember that where he just starts inexplicably like spinning in a circle (laughs) like in this way that looks really vicious even though it doesn't really make sense and as he goes in and and bites on uh, Luffy's side Luffy brings his foot down straight on top of Arlong and sends him all the way down to the bottom like bringing all of Arlong Park down with him in this giant pile of rubble uh, which leads us into the final moments of Arlong Park. So on the outside, everyone just sees Arlong Park come crumbling down into this ruin and everyone's kind of watching with this, it, it feels like it's like these mixed emotions where everyone's kind of being, it's almost like they're waking from a dream, you know, realizing like, oh my God, this might finally be over, but they don't know like who, who won? Like, did Arlong win? Did Luffy win? Cause they, they can't figure out like who, how would they be able to survive all this? And there's, like, this, this long moment where everyone's, like, kind of holding their breath before they see a figure on top of the rubble, and you see that it's Luffy standing there. Luffy, of course, after coming out on top, the first thing he does is he just looks straight down to Nami and yells, You're my friend. Nami!
1: You'll always be my friend! <laughs>
0: and everyone just breaks out in celebration and tears it's a very powerful dramatic moment like after everything they've been through over the course of this arc and after you know the eight years that the villagers and nami like all the the hardship and the trauma that they've been through it is a really impactful moment like i don't know how it hit for you
1: i think i just felt relieved that like nami wouldn't have to do this anymore Villagers wouldn't have to suffer under this person anymore. Mm -hmm. And it it really felt like probably the largest victory that I've seen. Oh,
0: definitely. I I mean, it's, it's like we've been saying, like, the stakes here were so serious. He really, really digs in with the backstory and just making you really feel for everybody involved, making Arlong as awful as possible. And so when you see this victory of of luffy literally standing on this rubble with the sun behind him and everyone's crying it just really drives everything home and felt really powerful and the other part of this that that really hit me was watching nami you know in tears realizing like that she's actually free you know something that she never could have dreamed of it also shows her that like she is allowed to call them her friends now you know she's allowed to actually join the straw hats for real and be a part of them it's not just that arlong has been defeated it's like luffy literally destroyed like everything that was binding her to this place um so it is it is very powerful yeah and there's a great moment where the villagers are like throwing luffy in the air and everybody's cheering and everything and of course in this moment nazumi just shows up do you remember this mm-hmm. that he just suddenly comes back and, and sees this as, like, his opportunity to sweep in and take credit for taking down Arlong and to take in the Straw Hats as these uh, these criminals, you know? And nobody, everyone's just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, after everything they've been through, it, it's like, we don't even get, like, an on-screen fight. They just get beat down, like, instantly. And, and Nami gets some hits in on Nazumi before forcing him to... You know do their job as the navy to help to clean everything up and to also return all that treasure that he stole from her and he being like the cowardly character he is he agrees to all that but as he's leaving he shouts out and calls luffy by name and tells him that like he will he'll get his revenge and so as the the villages are all getting ready to head back and celebrate there is this cool moment where the straw hats are all together talking and you can see they're all smiling and like you know talking about everything that happened and you see genzo and nojiko are kind of watching from afar and they see how nami is smiling and seems so happy like for the first time in so long and you can see it kind of gives them this uh this confidence that like she has finally found people she can call friends that she can smile with and be herself with Uh, it's very very nice heartwarming moment i don't know how that hit for you yeah
1: i mean honestly the same like, it's just yeah. it's a nice moment
0: you gotta be a real piece of shit to not feel <laughs> something here because it's yeah it's it's great this is this is why like our long park is is considered the point where it's like if you don't fall in love with the series after this then like the series is just not gonna be for you and i can definitely say for me I was hooked like I was already we've talked about this before. I was already like enjoying it up till now. But after this, like all the emotion that I was feeling, um, I was just like, I'm it. I'm a one piece head. It's the goat period, you know, and I was just ready after that. Um,
1: Well, it's such a complex story with such nuance to every situation. Yeah, it's nice to, to not only just for, you know, really just a cartoon show like i hate hate to minimize anime down to that
0: yeah it's kind of like i mean it's it it feels bad calling it a kid show but it is a show that like appeals to children yeah but there's so much more going on
1: yeah i I mean had i watched this as a child i would have not picked up on everything happening
0: yeah i do wish that i'd been able to watch this as a kid though yeah me too oh my god this would have like defined my life i probably would (laughs) have been wearing a a straw hat like a little weave in high school and shit
1: i mean we're probably i can (laughs) imagine us still doing that now that's true
0: (laughs) but yeah and on that note the the last thing that's important to point out here which does go back to something we've talked about in the past is nizumi when uh he gets back to his ship he calls in the headquarters and tells him like as this is his revenge he tells them that Luffy and the Straw Hats are enemies of the government. Um, and he wants to put a Dead or Alive bounty on their heads, with, uh, which uh, they say that after they verify the information that they, they'll do that. There is a funny moment where he sends over the picture, and it's a picture of Luffy laughing, because of course it is. <laughs> and He's kind of like, can you get a better picture? And...
1: Listen, there's a pirate who wears a Straw Hat. He's named Luffy. I hereby declare that he and his four crew members are enemies of the government. They managed to take down the purportedly invincible fishman Arlong at his home base. Based on the grave threat they present, a large bounty has been placed on their captain, Straw Hat Luffy. Transmitting photograph now. Roger that.
0: Couldn't you have taken a better picture than that? No. Sorry, sir. But this is like, well, it's important for two reasons really to me. One is it goes back to what we were saying about the morality in the series that this is a moment where Luffy and his crew just put their lives on the line to save this this village. And not just the village, you know, the whole East Blue. You know, they are heroes. But to the government, they are being portrayed as like enemies of the government. They're mm-hmm. disrupting the peace, quote unquote, that the government has established. Um, so it really shows like the ambiguous morality and the the gray areas that exist in one piece but the other really important thing we have to point out are the snail communicators which i think <laughs> are used for the first time here which i know that you absolutely love these yeah, things the,
1: the minute it showed up on screen i'm like okay well i need that
0: it's just such a funny <laughs> idea that instead of just giving them telephones it's like snails that just somehow like speak whatever you're saying and that's and not how they communicate. Only that,
1: they're like customized so yeah. that they're like each character that's talking which is just so funny
0: it's so funny and we've talked about that we know in japan they had telephones that look <laughs> oh, like yeah. this I, they have to
1: have those. i have to do more research to see if i can find old photos of any one piece merchandise because there's no way that a marketing team did not zero in on that and were like, oh, we have to sell snail phones.
0: It's a home run. Like there's just, there's no way they had to do that. Um, But they are like, it's such a goofy throwaway thing that is so funny and so iconic to One Piece. And I I really think that unless I'm remembering wrong, I think this is the first time we see them. And it is important to point out one of the the reasons why this is such a big deal is we've been talking a lot up until now about how, you know, they're the small crew that's going around doing all these little things and slowly gaining recognition nobody really knows who they are and this is their first introduction to like the world stage that they have now done something that is going to force them to be recognized um which as we'll see going forward is both good and bad but hey if luffy wants to be king of the pirates you know you can't just be some nobody you gotta at a certain point step on the world stage and make a name for yourself and accept the consequences of that, which is going to be a big part of the story going forward. But this is that first moment when the Luffy and the Straw Hats are being recognized as a entity to be taken seriously.
1: So I th- I think here is where I start to notice that there was a lot of people witnessing this fight, yeah. which in turn is a lot of gossip to be to be put yeah. through whatever towns and to, you know, like there, there are so many people here that. Someone's gonna tell someone else who's gonna tell someone else and it's just a very large web of people for this information to be sent through.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. And that's that was another big part of this fight that we didn't really talk about is that the way it cuts to the villagers watching, you know, back and forth. It it helps to drive home the stakes, you know, that this isn't just them, you know, in some isolated place fighting somebody. They're actually being watched by people whose lives are are on the line, and you know, again, to drive home, they're putting their lives in the line to save these people who they don't even know, who they don't like. The villagers don't know who they are, don't care about them, and yet Luffy and the Straw Hats are willing to die um, to take this guy down. Even though it's kind of a byproduct that they're saving mm. them, it's still it, it just helps to drive home those stakes. In the aftermath of all this, we get to another big One Piece staple, which is. Something I've, I've talked to you about before that I love so much about the series is that, you know, after you have this big conclusion, big fight, it doesn't just move on to the next story arc. It takes the time to celebrate, you know, because when you have a big victory like this, you should you, you've kind of earned that, you know, and and one piece, I mean, after all this, they spend an entire episode just celebrating their victory. And partying and everything, and I think that's that winds up being something that's so important to the story that seems so obvious, but you don't really see that in a lot of other fiction. Um, and I just I love that it fits, you know, the the themes and it fits the uh, the whole vibe of the show really well.
1: Yeah, it it like really voices a message to rest and to celebrate anything that you've overcome. You know, you you deserve that.
0: Yeah, and to really live in these moments instead of just moving to the, from one thing to the next.
1: Yeah.
0: So the final episode of this arc is just a big party. That the villagers throw, and I think they, they point out that it's been going on for like several nights <laughs> just partying. I mean, you have to imagine after eight years of living yeah, like this, oh my God. it's like finally getting your freedom and your, your lives back. So you can imagine the happiness and the joy that would come from that. And again, spending a whole episode celebrating really drives that point home. Um, and it's so great because we see uh, Zoro is getting stitched up by an actual doctor who's kind of <laughs> angry at like these really rough like staples he has like who the hell has been doing this to you and he mentions that like they should probably try to get a doctor for their crew which Luffy is like ah like maybe we can get a <laughs> musician first you know but it is it is a funny point because you know it does foreshadow some things that are coming mm-hmm. but it's also funny cuz it, it makes you realize if they are putting their lives on the line like this all the time. They probably do need someone who can actually patch them up to keep them going. (laughs) That might be pretty important. (laughs) As this party's going on, we do get this little moment where we see Nami is visiting Belmare's grave, and Genzo and Nojiko are there who are kind of reflecting on whether they think Belmare would be okay with Nami becoming a pirate. But they come to the realization that, like, Nami wouldn't listen anyways, you know, so...
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's just like Belmare. So. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> and Belmare would probably just be happy with her doing something that makes her happy, you know. And that is a big part of the series. Is It portrays the idea of being a pirate is just, it's freedom. You know, it's being able to just go out there and explore the world and go on adventures. And that is naturally something that would appeal to someone like Nami. So this is really, like, the best thing for her. But, you know, the villagers, they they're partying like deep into the night and we see like luffy who's just carrying around meat like he has like meat in his mouth and in each of his hands you know just walking around Uh, because luffy doesn't need any medical treatment apparently he just needs to eat a lot of food to bounce (laughs) back
1: sleep for a little bit yeah exactly
0: and uh there's that funny moment where he goes up to sanji and he's like hey what's that ham melon thing you were eating and Sanji's like, oh, you know, that was prosciutto. Like, or, I don't even know what that is. Do you know what prosciutto is? We
1: just had prosciutto. What? We went to that winery. We had, there was prosciutto. Oh, it was oh, delicious. Yeah,
0: prosciutto. I'm not fancy enough for this stuff, all right? <laughs> but, yeah, Sanji, of course, though, is like, yeah, prosciutto. And Luffy's like, oh, ham melon. And so he just spends, like, the whole party looking around for a ham melon. I also, I did want to point out that, like... Every time we see Luffy eating, he just looks like a little goblin, just like like shoving food into his face. I thought that's so fucking funny.
1: Yeah, he's got to like eat as much as possible as fast <laughs> as possible for some reason.
0: Right, he's like a dog or something that like you put any food in front of them, they have to eat it as fast as possible so no one else can take it. That's so funny. And we see like Zoro is just like drinking. That's like his thing. And Usopp is like standing on top of a table singing about. <laughs> His exploits yes, and everyone's celebrating himself. him. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's very Usopp.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and Nami, she goes to get her arm stitched up by the doctor after you know what happened with her after stabbing the the tattoo in frustration. She reveals to the doctor that she wants to replace the tattoo because I guess in the One Piece world, doctors can also. Nerd also tattoo yeah. artists. <laughs> can we
1: talk about that for yeah, a minute? Sure. Because that is just so cool. Like, yeah. I wish I could just go to my doctor and be like, you know, I think yeah, by I, the way. I really need this on my skin right now. Can you just... Yeah. <laughs> with my universal health care, can you just give me a free tattoo?
0: It is funny. <laughs> um And she she shows she has some new tattoo that she wants, which gets revealed a little later. But uh we do get, like, a little snippet of, of backstory that shows, like, how... That tattoo, from the from the jump, she carried a lot of shame around that. There's uh, that moment where Nojiko, she shows up and Nojiko reveals, like, she has all these tattoos, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know, I thought uh, I'd get some tattoos to match yours, and it's like this really nice moment. It's
1: very sweet. I th- I, yeah. I really commend Nojiko for that, because it, it reminds me of, you know, like when people get cancer and they have to shave their head, like friends will shave their head. In yeah. solidarity to help, you know, to yeah. reduce the embarrassment of right. what that feels.
0: And it's especially important knowing, like, the tattoo culture in Japan, especially back then. Japan hasn't been, like, super progressive when it comes to tattoos. You know, this this winds up being this, like, really cool moment for them to connect and, and show empathy, you mm-hmm. know. We also get a, a moment where Luffy, who's, like, double fisting, meet <laughs> he he winds up wandering off to Belmare's grave while he's looking for the ham melon, mm-hmm. and finds Genzo there. And there's this uh, this moment where he tells Luffy like that he'll he'll kill him if he does anything to take away Nami's smile. And Luffy's just like, "Of course I won't! Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? You know, just like, uh, just such a like a very
1: uh, father figure thing." To oh say. yeah,
0: <laughs> for sure. But Luffy, yeah, Luffy's response is so funny because he's just like, "Why would I do that? Like, that's not gonna happen." we get another like very heartfelt moment where like as everyone's falling asleep after partying all night nami is like packing all of her stuff back at her house and she's talking to like this figment of her imagination that's like belmare sitting there Mm -hmm. talking about everything she's been through and her dream of charting the world's oceans and you know coming to that realization that she's going to be able to pursue that dream for herself now as she's traveling around with her friends and you see that she's like packing up that that treasure that she had been saving for eight years to buy the village she's ready to actually leave that to the village which seems like a very un-nami thing to do uh but like i think that's part of what makes it so impactful you know that instead of hoarding all this money which is like a big part of her character she just Gives it all to the village so that they can use it to rebuild and start over again. So the next morning, as the Straw Hats are like filling your ship up with supplies and you, you finally get that moment where they're bidding farewell to Johnny and Yusaku because they're getting ready to hit the Grand Line now. So there's like a little moment where they, they bid their farewells, Johnny and Yusaku leave, and they're all sitting there wondering like, where's Nami? Because she's the only one that's missing right now. And when Nami finally shows up, she immediately yells to them to start moving the ship, you know, get ready to, to depart. And they're all kind of confused, but Luffy's like, eh, she said to do it, like, let's go, let's move. So they start sailing out of the port. And as that happens, uh, Nami, she like, rushes through the crowd, as uh, everyone's like desperately trying to say goodbye to her like i thought that was so funny <laughs> i that, thought that
1: was funny too <laughs> yeah
0: she's like ducking and weaving and everyone's like hold on let us say goodbye to you like what are you doing and she's just rushing through and she jumps and gets onto the the ship as it's leaving the the harbor once she gets on the ship she reveals that she just basically pickpocketed everybody <laughs> as she was going and drops all their wallets on the ship i mean which of course she would do she's she's a cat bird like, yeah and even though she left all that money behind, it's like Isn't, this is still her nature.
1: Yeah, it's that, and I I like that. You know, first of all, now they have plenty of money. They have all the money yeah. they could need now.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because everyone is yelling out like uh, like oh, they're like all angry at her <laughs> for doing this, but then they're also like come back soon. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's like this blend of of different things. I think that winds up being important because we we did mention this before that they are pirates you know and this this is definitely a thing it's like a one piece thing where they always have to leave on this kind of mixed note if they don't believe like if they're leaving and everyone's just celebrating them as heroes it doesn't feel right because they're pirates Mm -hmm. so this is like this perfect kind of mixed note to end on that they're leaving after saving all these people but they just robbed them all you know in the port (laughs) this is also when we finally get to reveal that uh, the doctor shows Genzo the tattoo design that Nami wanted. And the tattoo, which is another iconic one-piece thing that I'm sure a lot of people have gotten this tattoo, <laughs> It's the design is basically like a blend between a, a pinwheel and a tangerine, which I think perfectly encompasses like everything Nami stands for and where she comes from. And it fully separates her from the Arlong Pirates, and proves that, like, she's able to live her life for herself now, you know, and she's no longer attached to them.
1: The design is also just perfect, too, because when you look at it, you, you see it. I will say I had mm-hmm. no idea what it ever was before then. Yeah. But when you do know, you see it immediately. Oh,
0: yeah, once it gets explained, you can see it right away, which I think makes for a very cool design. I don't know if you... <laughs> If you were wondering, like, what the deal was with that pinwheel this whole time, because I know when I was reading it, for whatever reason, it was just like, yeah, just another weird Oda character. Like, I didn't even think about it. Um,
1: I, I I don't think I ever really thought twice about what it was either. Yeah. I was just, you know, he has such crazy character designs. I just assumed it was a part of his costume.
0: Yeah, exactly. But, um, but the reveal is that when Nami was just a little baby, every time that he... <clears throat> came to visit, she would start crying because I guess they they act like he has such a scary face. And so, uh, Bellmare would get angry at him every time he would come over and make her cry. So he comes up with this brilliant idea to put a pinwheel on his hat. And even Bellmare is like, that's not gonna work. Like, that's such a stupid idea. And as soon as he comes over, Nami just starts laughing, you know, and loves it.
1: Genzo, back off. Don't get so close to Nami. I just wanted to see her smile. Your face is too scary. It's making her cry. I can't change
0: my face. Oh, wait. I'll keep this on my hat to distract her. What do you think, girl?
1: You're joking, right? It's just a stupid pinwheel. There's no way it's going to make her.
0: So he, I guess he just keeps it there as like a keepsake. Um, this,
1: that's the most sweetest thing ever. I know. What, like when that was re- revealed, I I just thought that was so sweet that even to this day, she's grown up and everything. He still keeps that pinwheel in his hat, and it's yeah. just it's so sweet.
0: It's funny because it's such a tiny detail, but it is packed with like so much emotion. Yes, it's so good. <laughs> and that leads us to the final shot of this arc when. You see, I guess that he doesn't really need that pinwheel anymore. So we get the shot of Belmare's grave with the pinwheel stuck in it and a tangerine. And just such a touching end to such an emotional arc in the series. Mm-hmm. That moment, I think, is so great. It made me so excited to keep watching because it really puts a, a pin. Like, we have one more arc in the East Blue Saga, Logetown, which we're going to get to soon. But I feel like that's it's almost like a, an epilogue to the East Blue Saga. You know, like Arlong Park is the big final climax that proves that the Straw Hats are ready to take the grand line on. They tackle their biggest threat yet and they come out on top. And it it makes it clear that they are ready for the the dangers to come. And it, it also just because of the nature of what happened in Arlong Park, this is what allows Nami to truly join their crew. So the crew they have now, this is like the core East Blue crew. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to grow a lot from here, but these are like the core members and their relationship has been like forged in fire, you mm-hmm. know, and so they are truly ready to to tackle what's to come. And I, I honestly think this whole arc or this whole saga, rather, it's almost like the prologue to the series, you know, and the grand line is when it really kicks off when we really see the story kick in the gear and I am very excited to keep going. And how are you feeling after all this?
1: Well, I think the first time and the second time watching through this, I, I want to keep watching. I want to see what else is going to happen. And, I I'm already in because there's been so much drama and emotion and, and just really cool scenes that I just want more of it.
0: Yeah. And I think especially now, like the sense of adventure and like going into the unknown with so much to come. Cause I mean, the East blue saga covers the first 100 episodes of of a series that as of this recording is at like 1071, I think. (laughs) And, and, by the way the episode that just dropped i can't say anything because it'll be a huge spoiler but it is like a major one piece moment again in episode (laughs) 1071 which just it really says everything you need to know about this series and like the impact that it's had that it's still going so strong like to this day so we have a big adventure ahead of us and Mm -hmm. I am excited to go on this adventure with you. <laughs> yeah, me too. Nothing makes it better than being able to watch something like this with someone you love. You know? <laughs> one last thing we got to do before we wrap it up. We got to rank the arc. <laughs> yeah. So as a reminder, so far we have uh, Barati ranked number one. We have Orangetown ranked number two. Romance Dawn ranked number three. And Seer Village as number four. So where would you put Arlong Park?
1: I mean, if I have to say the one, it's, it's, it's the, it's number one.
0: (laughs) I think that's obvious. Yeah. Um, I think to this day for me, Arlong Park is one of my favorite arcs. It's going to be tough ranking it against stuff in the future Mm -hmm. because there's just, there's so much that happens. There's so much emotion and it really sets the table for a lot of stuff in one piece that will continue on like long into the future so I think that's fair. <laughs> I don't know what else there is to say about this one. Um,
1: I mean, I, I will say, had you had you asked me the first time we watched this through, I probably yeah. would have said like Barati, then Arlong. Yeah. Maybe. Yet the way that Arlong <laughs> has almost been like this therapy for me yeah. to experience all of this is it really holds very special to my heart. So yeah,
0: it's
1: hard to it's hard to rank it low.
0: It's, it's there's just a lot there's a lot that happens here i mean between the best fight in the series so far and nami's backstory all the big emotional moments and the celebration at the end it's mm-hmm. it's a lot it's it shows like everything that one piece does so well but that's it uh the next arc we have left as we wrap up the east blue saga is Logetown, which we will get into the explanation of this when we record the episode but it covers episodes 45 and 48 through 53 and chapters 96 through 100 of the manga so yeah catch us again probably in two weeks for that one do you want to plug the socials
1: yeah uh before i plug the socials though i do just want to mention that we stand completely in solidarity with the wga and the sag after strike that's, that's right. happening right now, if you're not aware. Uh, the Writers Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild, they are striking for like equal pay. They, they want to be paid properly. These corporations aren't paying them, and they're hoarding all this money. And these creators need to be paid fairly for the entertainment they bring to us, which includes One Piece.
0: Right, especially with the One Piece live action coming yes. up soon.
1: And that's been a huge gray area for us, whether we want to cover the live action or not. Um, I'm still looking through the rules of SAG-AFTRA with the strike and everything. I know we're not big influencers. Mm -hmm. We are not making money from this podcast. It's a passion project for us at the moment. But I want to make it clear that we stand with everyone who's involved in the strike. And if you would like to support the strike, you can... um, Donate to the entertainment fund, which I'll put a link on our socials so that if someone, you know, if, you, if you're if you interested in learning more about it and, and what they are striking for exactly, uh, you can take a look at that or, you know, do a quick Google search. But I will have that link provided just in case anyone does feel the need to want to give to the entertainment fund. It does provide, you know, security to these strikers so that they're able to continue this and fight for their proper pay and still be able to live, so.
0: Yeah, and I think even though this doesn't really affect us, like you said, as people who are really just doing this as a hobby, I, I do think it's important to point out we do stand in solidarity. This mm-hmm. is something we both value a lot. So it is important to at least say something.
1: Right, yeah, and and I've worked in the industry, <laughs> more in the, the amateur part of the industry uh, in the past, and and this is very close to my heart. Uh, film is a huge part of my life, and I want to make it known that that we're here and we will not cross the picket line. I don't. No one's sending us emails about promoting anything. But if it happened, we would decline. Mm. Um, we will. We will not cross the picket line.
0: Well, with that said, you want to sign us off?
1: Yeah. You can find us everywhere at Straw Hat Social Club. Also, we do side piece episodes where we talk about different anime movies. And if you have an anime movie that you want us to watch and talk about, you can just email us at strawhatsocialclub at gmail.com.
0: Yep. And I think we're mostly on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok.
1: Tumblr, threads. Sure. Yeah.
0: So yeah, follow us and uh, catch us next week for side piece. We're going to be covering uh, Ninja Scroll, Mm -hmm. which is exciting one big part of my childhood um definitely reflects on the type of anime i was watching at the time which is very different from what you were growing up with yeah so that'll be a fun episode um but yeah catch us next week and the week after that when we get back to Logetown. so once again this has been uh straw hat social club i'm todd i'm becca and catch us next time